Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. What is quiet quitting? For me, it's one of those terms that seems to have erupted out of the collective unconscious and become a way to describe an approach to work that's less hustle, more balance. What's more interesting than the concept itself is how much currency it seems to have. Quote-unquote quiet quitting has struck a chord with managers, for sure, and also with a chunk of workers. But has anything actually changed in people's relationship to their jobs? Or is it just more that we need some kind of language to describe newfound pandemic feelings? We'll talk with an all-star panel about work right now, what's changed, and what really hasn't. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. The first challenge of this show is figuring out what quiet quitting means. As we turned it over among our team, we started throwing out these other terms, phoning it in, on cruise control. But clearly quiet quitting is helping a different kind of conversation happen. Our intern, Lulu Ralda, suggested that maybe it's become the means by which our society is coming to terms with overworking people. That is to say, perhaps it's not that jobs have changed, but that we have And so we need some new language to describe how we feel as workers, managers, people with lives outside the office, ambitions, hobbies. To get us started on this discussion, we're joined by Derek Thompson, senior editor at The Atlantic. Welcome to Forum. It is so great to be here. Thank you. So great to talk with you, Derek. Um, How do you explain the remarkable appeal of this new label? That is a big, big question. Uh, I think it's important to start with where the label began. It began not among uh, sociologists, as far as I understand, uh, at least not most recently, or not among labor economists. It started, at least in terms of its modern viral incarnation, on TikTok. Uh, Hmm. Millions of people watching popular videos on TikTok as people described this phenomenon of quiet quitting, which to them, I think, meant having a job without letting it take over your life. Mm -hmm. And I should begin by pointing out that having a job without letting it take over your life is certainly what we used to just call working. uh, Yeah, seems like called having a job. Yeah, seems like having a job. And, you know, as I looked into, you know, to what extent does this describe a real novel phenomenon, say the new disengagement of white collar and even blue collar workers? You know, I 
found that it doesn't necessarily seem to indicate that a whole lot has changed. But I think it's important when you're an economic analyst to look at the popularity of a new term, not only in the numbers and the statistics, but also to ask a more sort of cultural sociological question. Why is this word suddenly appealing to lots of people? Mm -hmm. What job is it doing, so to speak? So I think that at a first order level, it's not clear to me that quiet quitting is actually happening in any new kind of way. But at a deeper level, I do wonder why it is that today we need this new term or any new term to describe that which has historically just been called having a job. Yeah. You know, to us, again, talking about on the team, it felt like kind of a management friendly framing Mm -hmm. of having a job, right? That this idea that, you know, people wouldn't be going above and beyond would be, quote unquote, quiet quitting. I am fascinated by this aspect of it. It seems to me, again, that this is a term that originated on TikTok among workers describing the fact that they didn't want to work very hard or at least work harder than they had to. But it seems to have caught on among the managerial set to explain questions like, why doesn't my team seem like it's working very hard? I thought it was really interesting that, you know, typically TikTok and Bloomberg Wall Street Journal wouldn't necessarily speak the same language, but the popularity of quiet quitting articles seem to really take off in the Wall Street Journal and in Bloomberg, which tells me that this term is popular among managers to answer complicated questions like, you know, is hybrid work actually working out for us? Am I managing the emotional and temporal needs of my team effectively? Well, it's very easy if it seems like the answer to those questions is no to say, ah, well, the answer is very is very obvious. It's just that young people don't want to work. In fact, they're on TikTok right now telling me over and over in all of these videos, <laughs> they don't really want to work that hard. And so when I see sometimes workers uh, pretending or claiming that this term of quiet quitting is really important because it describes their own uh, sort of emotional temperature at at work, that they not give uh, lazy bosses an excuse to explain uh, worker behavior when actually it's just a lot of bosses that aren't necessarily doing their jobs very effectively. Yeah. I mean, how much of this term do you think is related to hybrid work in white collar settings and kind of the new possibilities, both for hyper engagement that that opens up and also new forms of slacking too. I think you're totally right. I think you're absolutely right that uh, hybrid work, remote work, working from home makes work leaky. It means that during the nine to five of any particular day, Monday to Friday, in any given hour, you can be at your computer doing work or you can be at your computer looking at YouTube videos or slacking off on your phone. It makes it really difficult, I think, to essentially keep your work and leisure lives separate. You see this, by the way, with some uh, findings from the vacation world. Uh, Companies like Airbnb have told me that they find that a lot of the people that are using those platforms are combining work and vacation and inventing, again, new words to describe that merging. They call it now workations. Uh, People are taking more Fridays off, and they're also taking more Mondays and Tuesdays off. They're they're turning the weekend into a four- or five-day sort of working weekend. This is becoming more common. So just as leisure is leaking into work, I also think it's the case that work is leaking into leisure. Microsoft has found in its own studies that the hour between 9 and 10 p.m. is becoming a kind of second workday for a lot of white-collar workers because they couldn't get certain things done during the 9 to 5, 
And just before they go to bed, they look at their inbox, realize they have 15 unanswered emails, and they go on you know, ticking through them from 9 to 10. So the idea that the 9 to 10 p.m. is the new 9 to 5 is another sort of interesting reality that's come about because of leaky work. So yeah. I think that all these things are happening at the same time, which are, which are novel, right? And it's important, I think, as journalists that we distinguish what is truly new here and what is not. What is new here, historically speaking, is that work is becoming leakier and leakier, and it's creating new anxieties around work and going above and beyond. What's not new is the average amount of engagement among people at work. If you ask Gallup, or if you look at Gallup surveys in the last 22 years of surveys about U.S. employee engagement, it's pretty much a flat line. Somewhere mm -hmm. between 27 and 34% of Americans say they're engaged. Somewhere between, say, 15 and 17% of Americans say they are actively disengaged. That hasn't changed that much for 22 years. <laughs> so quiet quitting doesn't seem to be like a real phenomenon to me, but leaky work does. Yeah. I'm also not sure whether I feel seen or I feel attacked by some of these new things, <laughs> like the workation, which I realize has been kind of every time I've taken time off from the show. That's how I've done it. <laughs> and also uh, this idea that the 9 to 10 o'clock hour, I mean, that feels to me like a kids just went to bed and now I'm returning to email slot. Which, you know, you think about how they do things in Europe, right? I mean, some of these European countries have actually passed laws that you can't use access your email during those hours, right? Yeah, they have. Uh, European countries, I think, have been a little bit more top down about things. Uh, the U.S. has a way of being a little bit more bottom up and also, frankly, being a little bit more obsessed with work and being more obsessed with productivity. You know, um, I'm not going to necessarily advise managers right now, but I would say that I would prefer to live in a world where emailing between 9 and 10 p.m., was somewhat discouraged as a matter of necessity, but I don't necessarily think I want to live in a world where like my municipality shuts down my computers that I can't answer your email, Alexis, between the hours of 9 and 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I think it's probably going a little bit above and beyond that, which is necessary. I think that it's, it's but I think it's, it's, it's useful to say we are just living in a really strange time when it comes to white collar work. And white collar work, knowledge work, this is a minority of all work. There's lots of people who don't have the option of moving time around in their day. If you're a cashier, if you're a retail salesperson, these are two of the most common occupations in America. They don't necessarily have the ability to shift work later in the day, shift work toward a weekend, unless you're picking up a new shift. So we're talking about a, a, you know, a relatively privileged set, but work really is changing. The, the, the sort of experience of work really is changing among that somewhat more privileged set. And I think it's worth pointing out, what are we talking about that is really real and really new? And what are we talking about that's just slapping a new term on that which has existed for decades? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're talking about what quiet quitting is and isn't with Derek Thompson, staff writer with The Atlantic, also author of Work in Progress, a newsletter that The Atlantic publishes, and author of the recent article, Quiet Quitting is a Fake Trend, which lets you know where Derek stands on this. <laughs> um, have you quietly quit? How'd you do it? And have you ever been asked to you know, go above and beyond at work and just said no? You can give us a call. Number's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. You know, Derek, I kept thinking about other ways that people have had to describe working in this way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that phoning it in 
That is to say, mm-hmm. you know, a, a form of making the work virtual um, is also, you know, one of the ways that we've had to do it. Or cruise control, again, like another kind of technological thing. Do you, has there been another term, you know, from sort of our era as, you know, millennials that you feel like captures this same kind of thing, but with a slightly different valence? I guess the easy one is slacking, right? Isn't that yeah. what we used to call sort of not doing the whole job while being on the job? It is kind of interesting to think that, you know, phoning it in, I suppose, um, looking it up right now, literally was invented in the early 20th century when telephone technology, telephony, which I know which I know that you've written a little bit about in your yeah. time at the Atlantic was really taking off. Um, and right now, a lot of people who are quiet quitting are actually literally phoning it in because they are looking at their phones uh, while slacking. So slacking really is what we, I think, historically have, have called it, at least in the last few generations. But each generation needs to reinvent the wheel. And so I suppose, to a certain extent, quiet quitting is an attempt to rebrand slacking. I do agree with the earlier point that you made, that quiet quitting seems much more likely to raise the ire of managers and give managers an excuse for why they feel like their teams aren't being as productive as possible. They can say, ah, well, my team has quit. They're quiet quitting. Look what, the, look what all the kids on TikTok are saying about exactly how they you know, describe the fact that they're slacking on their jobs. It seems like you know, from a worker perspective, uh, better to just you know, argue for the resolution of chronic labor issues like the <laughs> underrepresentation of unions or the sort of profound American pressure to be careerist, better to fight against those things than to claim uh, like a little sort of you know, button on your lapel that you are quiet quitting. I don't think that's probably the best way to get the, the, the outcomes that you want as a worker. We have a little uh, clip from TikTok. It's from a video called POV. Veronica displays quiet quitting on TikTok. 1.2 million views. Creators Sarai Marie. Let's listen in. Hey, Veronica, you have till end of day to finish all this extra work. Respectfully, Susan, it's 2022. We're acting our wage, so don't give me extra work. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Um, Acting your wage. Uh, we're going to talk about that particular turn of phrase a little bit more when we come back. Because it does seem like it's getting at some of the same themes, but in a different way. And again, we're going to take your calls. Have you quietly quit or do you think about quiet quitting at your job? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. We'd also just love to know, how has your approach to work changed in the last couple of years? Are you feeling more or less invested? The emails forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about quiet quitting, joined by Derek Thompson, staff writer and author of the Work in Progress newsletter for The Atlantic. 
want to welcome in our next guest, Beth Titel. He is a staff writer at the Boston Globe and author of the recent article, Our Obsession with Quiet Quitting Doesn't Seem to Be Going Away. Welcome to our discussion, Beth. Thanks so much. Delighted to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. What's your What's your take on this? I feel like that's going to be my first question for everyone. What is going on here with this term, quiet quitting? <laughs> that's the best question. It was sort of on my mind, too. I was thinking that it's actually getting hard to keep up with quiet quitting in the way that the waning days of summer were once owned by pumpkin spice latte and like it went so crazy that there was even, you know, pumpkin spice beard oil. I feel like that's happening to quiet quitting where wherever you turn, there it is. Like there it was in psychology today where a storm, a story was warning that lovers that quiet quitting can happen in romantic relationships too. And um, signs include physical and psychological distancing, just for your listeners to know. And a magazine yeah, you should be called the- breaking up uh, slowly. <laughs> exactly, <now. laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> right. I guess it's sort of like staying on the job because there's some reasons to keep it, you know. And I think that's the same thing with the quiet quitting of the relationship. You kind of want to get out, but there's reasons to stay in. And a publication called for farmers called Dairy Herd Management had had a list of tips to prevent quiet quitting on the farm and on Etsy, there are so many quiet quitting t-shirts that you could have an entire wardrobe of just quitting wear. Um, and then it's also spawning other things like there's now lists of warning signs that you're being quiet fired, which huh. is going years without a raise or promotion or losing leadership opportunities, things like that. Um, and it's interesting, you brought up act your wage, which was actually an old piece of advice for people who would overspend in order to appear wealthy, the, the wisdom was, no, act your wage. If you earn you know, $50,000 a year, act like that, don't spend too much money. But now it's been repurposed to mean doing your job is compensated and nothing more. So I just love to see how quiet quitting is really spreading. And I mean, Florence Pugh has been, the actress has been crowned a quiet quitting icon after she skipped press day in Venice for Don't Worry Darling and on Reddit, Homer Simpson is being hailed as a quiet quitting pioneer because way back in 1995, he was saying, if you don't like your job, you don't strike. You go in every day and do it really half half jobs. That's the American way. So I was thinking here in Boston, we've got um, Dunkin Donuts. And I was thinking it's only a matter of time before Dunkin introduces a breakfast sandwich, like the quiet bacon and uh, quiet bacon, egg and cheese. So funny. Uh Let's add another voice to our conversation. Angela Garbus is the uh, writer and author of the books Essential Labor, Mothering is Social Change, and Like a Mother. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you are just, you know, you're a legend in our household, um, Essential Labor, (laughs) beloved book uh, here. And I, you know, what do you think of quiet quitting? I feel like your work has been dedicated to rethinking our relationship to ourselves and our work. Do you like the term? Do you not like the term? <laughs> like, how do you feel? Um, <laughs> I feel I'm really impressed by Beth's deep dive into the culture around it. Um, and I, I feel sort of unbothered by the term. You know, I think one, um, one I think, you know, that it's correct. Like we're, we're coming up with words. We're searching for the vocabulary to describe the feeling that so many of us, um, you know, white collar workers, blue collar workers, so many of us are struggling with making sense of work in our lives and realizing that the way it's been presented to us this whole time in our culture, the way that we have internalized it might not be so great. Right? Mm. Um, the thing that I think is missing from this conversation 
you know, I think about like baseline work. I, I mean, I think it's really important to name that in America, where we have privatized all human rights, like healthcare, right, education, um, right to housing, right, all of these things, work is in America a coercive condition of survival. And so I think quiet quitting and all of this conversation around that is I think we need to factor that in, right? That we are all working to like earn, quote unquote, earn a living to like prove our value. And I wonder what would it be like if, um, you know, if our most basic needs were taken care of, like what would our conversation around work be? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's bring in our first uh, caller, Mandy in San Francisco. Welcome, Mandy. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I think she sort of already responded to what I was thinking. Is you know, I, I did read one of these articles. I don't know who the author was, and uh, I shared it with some friends, and we had a conversation about it, and basically described it as setting boundaries. You know, I am um, I am not. I, I do have my master's degree. I'm not a white collar worker. Uh, I work in healthcare, so I'm technically paid by the hour. And, uh, yes, I would say, I don't know if this applies more to younger workers, and I think I learned that early on. You know, we, we do our work, and in healthcare, there's a lot of documentation and things like that. And, uh, yeah. you know, now I think at one time it felt like, oh, I wasn't that efficient. I should be, I'll stay late to do my documentation. And now, with enough experience, I know when I have had enough time and when I haven't. And, you know, my, yeah. when my shift ends, it's time to go or... Or I'll ask for mm. overtime, and it's always it's always approved. And it seemed like it was something that I was afraid to ask for when I was younger. So um, the term "quiet quitting," you know, I think it has an, a sound of being like a slacker, but uh, it's not. It's just kind of really knowing, you know, when you're working well and and uh, setting boundaries. Yeah, that's so so interesting. I mean, you know, Derek, I wanted to. Uh ask you to reflect on the way that the language for me setting boundaries has always felt like an interpersonal uh t task or skill you know you would do that with with partners or, or friends or these other things this is sort of slightly different it feels like you know using the term within this kind of work context yeah you know, synthesizing a lot of things that have been said in the last 10 minutes, I think it's important to think at a big structural level about setting boundaries. To a certain extent, the fact that the U.S. has privatized so much of its healthcare uh, is a kind of um, pernicious boundary setting. Rather than extend the boundary of government health provisions, uh, we have historically made it very difficult for people to get health care, to leave their job while keeping health care, um, especially for prime age workers who are not covered by Medicaid and Medicare. So to a certain extent, a lot of the relationship that we have to work is the result of the fact that the boundaries set by government are not particularly equitable. Um, so when I think about sort of quiet quitting in the broader context of, you know, what we want from a fair government and how it allows us to live the kind of working lives uh, that we do, you know, I think it's important to maybe separate two different questions. What do we want from government? And also, what do we want from a team member on a team that we're working mm -hmm. with, right? Mm -hmm. I want both mm -hmm. to be a little bit ambitious. <laughs> um, I don't want quiet quitting from either the government or my team member. Um, I wanna feel like I'm working with the government. Uh, I'm a citizen of the government that's going above and beyond to make sure that the essentials of uh, our lives are taken care of and that we are uh, taxed progressively to provide progressive services. But also to be totally blunt, 
when I'm assigned a certain team to work on a project that's important to me or important to the company, I want to feel like the people on my team are also, you know, working pretty hard and not considering themselves to be, you know, so-called quitters in any kind of way. Hmm. So I think it's important to, when, when I think about ambition, I think about sort of assigning my preferred kind of ambition to both the government and the, um, and, and, and the team. Uh, so maybe that's the, not, not exactly the question that you were asking, but just a thought that I had as I was listening to yeah, a lot of the no. comments earlier. Well, let's bounce that back to Angela. What do you think of that? Um, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a, um, a clear way of looking at it. I think, though, that the two don't exist in a vacuum. So um, I think most people... I mean, I just want to say I assume good intent. Maybe I'm really naive. I think <laughs> most people want to work. Most people just want to do some good work and, and get by, right? And so I think, yes, absolutely, we should hold the government accountable. I don't think we're doing enough of that to say, like, I mean, I think Derek's uh, point of view is pretty generous towards the government. Like, it's, it's never been equitable, you know? Like, I think that it's, um, people feel really crushed by that structural system. And so, yes, I want to demand change on that level. But at the interpersonal level, you cannot separate what an individual worker is going through. Like, you don't know if someone on your team is, you know, maybe not being able to, like, make their rent because the wages are too low. Maybe they have another job, you know, like, I hear that. But I also think you can't completely separate them because the structure impacts the individual life. Mm -hmm. And so many of us are made to feel like our problems are individual shortcomings um, when, in fact, they are structural ones. So, I mean, I'm not really that down with like the idea of quiet quitting. I think it's, again, I agree what you, what you said earlier that it's really like a management friendly term. I mean, you could see it as sort of being like, um, you know, like saying yes to basic human rights, saying yes to the boundaries <laughs> that we're talking about, saying yes, insisting on a, um, you know, a living wage, those kinds of things. You're like, I'm just showing up to work for my health care, right? Which is a very legitimate reason to just show up to your job. Right, right. Let's bring in another caller, uh, Brooke in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, thanks. I think this conversation is great. And one thing that should be talked about is probably the inequality in pay. You know, uh, companies uh, like Amazon, for instance, that, that make billions of dollars send people to the moon, um, those people don't get paid enough. You know, a study a long time ago said Ford, Henry Ford, uh, paid his, you know, companies or people, you know, what's today in dollars, $32 an hour to work on an assembly line. Therefore, you could have the American dream. So maybe the quiet quitting has something to do with not laziness, but we're not getting paid enough. We're just going to do the bare minimum because we're, there's no, you know, advancement. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting yeah. point. Um, Beth uh, Title, Steph, uh, staff writer at the Boston Globe, you know, when you were looking into this and you were finding these notes about quiet quitting in, in places like dairy herd management, yes. what, what, what was the response supposed to be? Just like, well, we'll, we'll pay you more money. Like, what, what oh. was supposed to happen on the management right. side? Yeah. Yes, that's such a good idea because I do think that there has that there. I've been hearing a recognition in some places. I think Harvard Business Review had a piece as well as former secretary, I mean, the Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, talked about quiet quitting really being a leadership failure. He, he went on the, um, the Daily Show and said that when he quit, you know, quiet quitting came on so quickly that a lot of people didn't even know what it was. And Walsh said that the first time he heard it, he thought it was actually people quitting and leaving. And he said, so I gave an answer and looked like a complete moron. And then I looked it up after the fact. But I do think that it gets to what leadership can do to make people feel satisfied because 
a lot of like dairy herd management, for example, they were talking about don't give people tasks that they haven't been properly taught how to do. Um, recognize what's happening in their own lives that might make it difficult for them to work in certain confines, but given a little flexibility, perhaps they could thrive. So I think a lot of it is actually giving the worker a little bit of power to say, and recognizing that people have a lot going on in their own lives. And that's the way, because a lot of times people just kind of give up in a way because they feel like under the current structures, they don't stand a chance. Um, I was really interested to hear about the way it's framed, like it's, you know, quiet quitting as a management framing. And I was thinking about other phrases for that. And a bunch have been mentioned that are interesting. And some others that I learned about were retired in place is one RIP. <laughs> and then I think that happens in is, Portland, Oregon a lot. Yeah. <laughs> another one is called, which you guys probably know about there in San Francisco. I was interested to learn resty vesty. So people just waiting for their stock to vest in a company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're not really doing anything. They're just resting while they vest. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that also, I was sort of interested to, you know, as everybody knows, it, it got so much quite quitting began its move into the mainstream in late July of this year, which I will also point out was kind of a slow news period, <laughs> like raining storylines <laughs> at the time, people getting sort of bored with like the pandemic and, you know, inflation, it was kind of dull, the queen hadn't died yet, so people were hungry for something, but that term quite quitting actually kind of, according to a a website, a scholarly website called knowyourmeme.com. The, the earliest use actually came on March 24th in basically a very seemingly routine academic exchange on Twitter. So hmm. one person on Twitter asks, they say that they're writing a doctoral studies paper on the greatest leadership challenge we face today. And they're asking their, you know, people following them on Twitter, what would you select? And a Twitter user wrote that he would, that he would say that the biggest challenge leadership faces today is building and sustaining individual and collective efficacy in the midst of the great resignation, then he says, or the era of quiet quitting due to burnout, poor leadership, yeah. limited autonomy. So, you know, it's, go ahead. Oh yeah. You know, I was just, you brought up um, via that comment, right? The great resignation. And Derek, I, I feel like we had you on the show to talk about the great resignation. And it does mm -hmm. feel like somehow we've moved from that era where that was like this phrase that was on in all the business you know, press to this one. Do you think there's like a relationship between those two things? I think there is a relationship. I think one of the relationships is the relationship of the news media misunderstanding labor trends. Um, great resignation was often interpreted by a lot of news media as representing this idea that no one wanted to work anymore. Um, there were articles mm. all over the place, the New York Times Magazine, New York Magazine, Teen Vogue, Recode, that kept saying over and over again, the great resignation is happening because, quote, no one wants to work. Um, no, that's not it at all. The great resignation was a phenomenon of elevated quits rates. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics considers a quit anytime someone leaves a job. So when all these people during a period of rising nominal wages were leaving their old job to take a new job, uh, that was registered by the BLS as a quit. And so some people called this the great resignation and confused other people into thinking that lots of Americans just didn't want to work anymore. They just wanted to quit their jobs. Um, total misread of what was actually happening. Hmm. And to a certain extent, I think the same is happening with, with quiet quitting. You know, I think that there is a neologism that has been born perhaps in a period of fallow breaking news um, that has confused people about what is actually new and what is not new. 
um, it just doesn't seem particularly clear that there's any sort of flood of active disengagement in people's work over the yeah. last few months or years. It seems pretty stable uh, with past years. But I think it just goes to show that like, it's really important to when you're talking uh, about the labor market, talking about work, um, to yes, pay attention to what people are saying, but it's also important to pay attention, I think, to what's actually happening, what we see in statistics and what we see in data. Yeah. Um, we have so many comments coming in. Uh, Kristen writes, is it any different from ghosting? People are taught and teach each other these days that if a relationship isn't great, you just let it go. This is actually such poor boundary setting. It's rude and unkind. You should say something before you go someone and you should talk to your boss before you disappear. I've just recently started hiring people and I'm quite shocked. How many have just disappeared? on me with no indication of dissatisfaction. Um, I, you know, Angela, we're laughing over this. I think it yep. is, it feels to me like a, you know, there's a new set of workers coming into the workplace with an entirely, you know, with, with a different set of just reference for like how to be in relationship to other people. Do you think that is part of it or am I like yeah. leaning too hard on the generational component? Well, I mean, I think there's something there. I mean, we're talking about quiet quitting. It started on TikTok. So, yes, I think there's a generational component, right, for sure. But I think that is, I just think a lot of, as Derek was saying, a lot of these things aren't new, right? Like, these are old ideas. And But what is it saying about how it's manifesting now, right? This idea of the great resignation, yes, like, people are quitting, but they're looking for other jobs. And in, in that, what I see is really, like, people cannot afford to not work, right? Yeah. People still want to work, but maybe because there are, there is, I mean, and I'm the person too, is like, we don't have a labor shortage in America. We have a living wage shortage, right? Like people have more flexibility to like find a job that maybe they get treated a little bit better, right? Or like maybe the schedule is a little more flexible. So people are like looking around to see. Um, I think, you know, their choices of workers are still pretty limited. And I wanted to go back to something Beth was saying about like the way that we phrase this. Um, there is a, you know, it's, it's, we're a union family in my house and there is a phrase that has been used in unions for generations and it's called working to the letter yeah. and in this way i think this is what quiet quitting is like yeah. maybe this is a manifestation of that which is that you know most people in unions you work under a contract and yeah. you do no more no less than what the contract says and that's just working and yep. isn't that a little bit like quiet quitting yeah work to rule yeah uh we're talking about quiet quitting joined by angela garvis Beth Title and Derek Thompson, staff writer with The Atlantic. Derek, thanks so much for joining us. We know you have to run to your next thing. Stay tuned for more Forum right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. We are talking about quiet quitting and just the vast conversation that it has opened up, just that that new term. Joined by Beth Titel, a staff writer at the Boston Globe, and Angela Garbus, author of the books Essential Labor, Mothering and Social Change, and Like a Mother. Uh, Angela, I wanted to come to you. We have this this comment uh, from Rock seems to really get to what I am, what I think may be happening here. Uh, Rock tweets, I have realized that my work was a big portion of my identity. Since then, I started creating boundaries, that is to say emotionally detaching, while still being highly productive. The change was not external, like something, I'm just parenthetically saying, like something that could be measured in a Gallup poll, but internal. It has changed my relationship with work. Mm. Oh, Rock, I love it. This is what we're all here to do, this internal work. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, yeah, that's a profound, um, I think it's a really profound point. And it's one of those things that cannot be hashtagged, right? That cannot be adequately summarized on social media. I mean, what can, really? Mm -hmm. But that kind of shift. And I want to say that part of this is due to the pandemic. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I really think that, you know, after the pandemic is far from over, like we're all still sort of like coming out or figuring things out, but what it did for a lot of people, um, and I hear I'm talking about people who had the flexibility to work from home, right, to rearrange things. That's like a small segment of the workforce, but it kind of gave people space, right, to realize, to pause and be like, what am I doing? Like, am I working all the time? Like, what, what for? And I think what you also saw with a lot of parents who we haven't talked about them, but we're a huge portion of the workforce is that parents were like, okay, so I'm working, I'm working all the time. I'm working like I Mm -hmm. pretending like the pandemic isn't going on. I'm working from home. My children are here with me. They're not at school. And when I'm not working for a wage, I'm working. And so Mm -hmm. I think there's an element of realizing people are realizing like life is a lot of work and maybe we could have some better divisions and, and that balance in working. Yeah. And I I think the idea that the pandemic was an absolutely profound experience for for everybody and yet we've tried to mm-hmm. tried to like not treat it that way like it wouldn't have these like you know very deep repercussions inside us all is it's um it's a little bit mysterious. Um I am going to take uh, Ellie in Berkeley. Welcome Ellie. Hi there. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So, um, so I'm a lawyer with two kids, so um, I'm a working mom. And I would say that I've been trying to quietly quit even before this trend started. And I, and I use that term to mean I've been, like, setting more boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, and I think your first caller, your first speaker, Derek, had noted that he didn't see a prevalence of this trend in the workplace. And I want to agree because I've been setting boundaries at my law firm, but um, no one else at my law firm is doing it. And I'm the only um, the oh, one with parent. I'm, I'm the only mom in, in our group. And I think like by quietly quitting, you kind of fall behind professionally. And, and like pre-kids, I used to work like seven days a week, morning to night. So m- my main comment is if you, if you want to have a career um, and, and you're, tr- and you're quietly quitting, you, you kind of can't progress. So it needs to be this like, collective movement amongst all of us mm. to like quite set boundaries so that we can have a life outside of work and it only like it was only once I had kids I realized how much my life was my job um 
Yeah. yeah, so I just feel like you, you end up not progressing at work and, and you fall behind. So you, you really can't quietly quit, like in particular at a law firm. Yeah. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about the gender nature of of this experience? You know, I, we know how many women were forced out or or left the workforce during the pandemic. And, I, you know, in your work, Angela, you've talked a lot about how you feel like it will be a long time. There's going to be lasting repercussions from the default on child care and the other forms of labor to keep a house running, falling to, to women. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, I mean, there are two million less women in the professional workforce uh, now than there were in March of 2020. Right. And so I think, you know, as I believe her name is Beth, our last caller was saying, you, um, you know, at a law firm, you're going to fall behind. But I think that's true in all sectors of work for women. Right. So the gender pay gap exists in part because whether or not you have children, women are expected to leave the workforce to perform caretaking, whether that's for a parent or a sibling or any other relative. Right. So that women are the default caregivers. And so the pandemic, I think, exposed for a lot of people, as our last caller was saying, how like it really just comes down to them. It's always that expectation. And um, as a society, we definitely were like in the pandemic. Cool. Like we don't have a social safety net. We don't have paid time off. We don't have sick leave, but we have parents. We have mothers who are expected to pick up this work. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think there's been, there's definitely growing awareness around that. But there's also um, how much can be done in the face of the structure. And, and I like what our last caller said, which is pointing to um, one of the only ways forward here is collective action. Um, quiet quitting is something that people are, that she's been doing at an individual level. And I think many people are doing, but, um, you know, I think that that's an individual step, but how do we translate that into real power in the workplace? How can people come together around these sort of individual things and see that it's far from an individual uh, struggle? Many people are experiencing this. Matt writes in to say, in today's workplace, the dogma is to hire cheap and squeeze blood out of the turnip. Management are rarely supportive Ooh. and will offer benefits rarely while expecting a lifestyle of work that blurs the lines of personal and business. Nine to five doesn't exist anymore. And that is what people are getting confused about this movement. It's about taking back the most valuable commodity anyone has, their time. If they aren't paying enough, they yep. don't get it for free. Uh, you know, Beth, what's your reaction to the idea that it is a movement <laughs> like that? To me, that's like really interesting to go from this phrase starts on TikTok. And now when people hear it, it's triggering the sense that this is a movement. Yes, that's such a good point. And I think a movement's what's needed because as uh, an earlier call caller was saying, the one woman who works as a lawyer with the children, that she's the only person who's actually, you know, quiet quitting or doing what she's doing at her law firm. And it kind of reminds the danger in it, if you're the only person doing it, I think is like in college, you know, some people would pretend that they weren't studying, but then everyone's like, oh, I guess no one's studying. I'm not going to study either. But then those people are secretly ruining the bell. From curve. nine to 10 after the kids go to bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's so, so true. So I think that unless everybody does it, then, I mean, really basically what it's saying is that the wages need to be higher. Like, do you need to keep going above and beyond so you can get more money than you're currently being paid? I mean, I think that gets back to, to act your wage. I think everybody does really need to do it. 
or it just does present a danger for people who either think everyone else is doing it and do it themselves or you know women often with a lot of responsibilities aren't in a position to do it. it it's one thing that made me think about was um, how studies show that people who have a best friend at work are less likely to quit and to mm -hmm. have more job, job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And all this remote work, so many more people now are just feeling disconnected from their workplace. So I think it makes it feel easier to just say, I'm just going to do, because a lot of it is also peer pressure. Like at work, you might be in the office and seeing other people working harder or feel like you should, or you care more about your colleagues' impressions of you because you actually see them. But when they're people who are just like on a Zoom screen or become almost kind of theoretical to you, I think those, hmm. those incentives disappear. That's very interesting. Uh, let's get to uh, Naomi in uh, Walnut Creek. Welcome, Naomi. Hi. Thank you for um, having this discussion. I think it's really important. Um, I'm a mom of two small kids. I recently left my corporate job um, back in June after 12 years because of burnout um, and kind of went through that whole phase of quote-unquote quiet quitting, although it wasn't very quiet. And I think um, that's probably the aspect of the solidarity piece that you guys were just talking about in terms of building that solidarity that may be important in that if you are somebody who's drawing those boundaries to make those boundaries very visible across your um, employment space because then more people may have the courage to sort of step up and draw their own boundaries as well, which is kind of what happened in my situation. Um, but my comment was really around efficiency. Um, prior to me leaving my corporate job, I dialed back my schedule from five days a week to four days a week to three down to three days a week and was still accountable for the same productivity. And I was able to squeeze all of that in within three days. And it really sort of made me think about what is really necessary from a work standpoint? And are we dedicating more of our time to unnecessary activities as it relates to work versus getting down to what it is that we actually need to do and realizing that that doesn't necessarily require 40 hours of strict attention. Um, and so mm. you can still be productive without having to have this cumbersome schedule. But having said that, you know, in order to make that transition, you do have to have supportive leadership or management. And then you also have to be very vocal around, these are my boundaries. This is what I'm doing. But if your work is speaking for itself, then I don't see there being a reason to quietly sort of back off. You're not quitting in any sense of the word. You're still working very productively. Yeah. Um, but you're being more efficient. Yeah. Like the efficiency piece is there. You know, Naomi, what you're saying makes me think about, I feel like a lot of corporations quit on their workers. They're like there, there was a partnership, uh, at least at times, between um, corporations and workers and their representatives that said, okay, like we will have a career path for you inside this company for a long period of time. That went away like a long time ago. And like Absolutely. most corporations don't offer that kind of career path. Most corporations expect people to be engaged, but are sort of like, yeah, sorry, your your prospects here are limited. And yet we still want you to ask, act as if you'll be here for 20 years. So that's the other thing that I've been thinking about as we, you know, just getting all these calls and comments is this idea that 
careers now exist for jumping between different types of work and jobs and other things, not just kind of going up, you know, vertically inside one company. And so it kind of makes sense that people have stopped acting like that's the way to really do it. Um, We're talking about what quiet quitting is and the conversations that it's really opened up in our society about work, overwork, burnout, all kinds of stuff. We're joined by Angela Garbus, writer, author of the book, The Central Labor, Mothering as Social Change and Like a Mother. And we're joined as well by Beth Title, staff writer with the Boston Globe, author of the recent article, Our Obsession with Quiet Quitting Doesn't Seem to Be Going Away. Earlier, we were joined by Derek Thompson, a staff writer at The Atlantic. This is a pledge period for KQED. For more information about how to support KQED, which you 100% should, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Let's get to another call. Let's go to uh, Abraham in Sacramento. Hi there. Hey, Abraham. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Good, good. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to chime in on on that. So I, um, you know, have my own personal experience on it. Um, you know, I, I, I currently, um, I'm a social worker. I work, you know, I work directly in people's homes. Um, I work for, for people who are developmentally disabled. So I'm kind of there to, you know, like help bridge the gap and whatnot. So um, I kind of, you know, quiet quit in my own way because, you know, and, and I can't, you know, not help out my clients when I'm working with them. I have to help them out. But what I did do is I set like a kind of like a boundary with with, with work. I mean, I, I came to the realization that like I needed to to really give myself some more time for myself. Like I I I, I couldn't like continue working, you know, seventy percent of the time, you know, at my clients' homes. Oh, I work directly with my clients in their own homes too. Mm-hmm. Um, during the pandemic, I spent about I calculated it was like seventy percent of the time I spent, um, you know, working in their home. And 30% of the time, you know, I got to relax in my apartment. And that's just not really like a sustainable lifestyle, especially, you know, when, you know, my, my dad passed away during the pandemic. And that was really rough because I, you know, I couldn't make it, you know, to, to um, <clears throat> I mean, I was able to make it to the funeral, but I couldn't make it to other, you know, family events that I needed to be at because I had to work. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Just, it's frustrating because uh, the upper management just doesn't just doesn't seem to understand that like you know we're we're people <laughs> we need you know time mm-hmm. for ourselves to provide our best work we need to be able to you know not feel as though like like we're gonna be hit with a stick <laughs> you know carrot mm-hmm. meat stick you know if we don't if we're not there all the time and I feel like employers really don't value the the um, what, what, what's the term? They don't value um, how important it is for an employee, employee to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, it boils down to yeah. that, too. And, you know, wages, of course. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's very much – there's a big disconnect is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks, yeah. Abraham. And I'm um, sorry to hear about your father as well. Um I do want to ask you, Angela, what about jobs that, you know, we we can't boundary easily, you know, jobs like, you know, someone who's a who's a midwife um, or, yeah. you know, these, these jobs where there are or, you know, I don't know, firefighter, you know, it seems difficult that like mm-hmm. quiet quitting can't be the same thing across all these different forms of work. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm thinking about Abraham, you know, like what he's saying is, of course, he wants to put in this time with people who really need his help, people who are isolated in the pandemic and developmentally disabled, right? Like, that to me is care work. And that's essential work. And that's what I think, you know, a lot of what I spent time thinking about is what, how do we define what is essential, right? Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the pandemic, we were saying that's healthcare workers, right? That's firefighters, um, sanitation workers, absolutely, they are essential. One thing that I felt as a parent, though, was um, who was just drowning in care work um, with no childcare, really, was that I was like, I'm essential too. And those of us who provide that very intimate physical care for people, um, that cannot be outsourced, that cannot be automated. Um, yeah, well, what, what happens to those people? I think we need to, I mean, this will not surprise you. <laughs> so this is what I think is like, we need to really have a whole reevaluation and, and insist on the value of that work so that people do not have um, that sort of burnout. So people do not resent what is like the most foundational work that makes all other work possible. Mm-hmm. We have a bunch of comments I want to get to here. Lisa writes, I'm a former physician, and even back in the early days of my career, I'd always put my life before my job. That's not to say I didn't work my butt off for my patients. I did hospital calls when it wasn't required, and I called people on the weekend when I didn't have to, but it was my choice. The 90s saw the corporatization of work and push for productivity. I changed jobs and took a big pay cut to keep my life balanced, and then there was no escape, so I left medicine altogether. Teachers have also been uh, writing in as well. Rachel writes, as a teacher, it is expected that I do work that is not explicitly stated in contract. I try my best to set email times when I answer and only grade as many papers as I can for a six-hour block Saturday and Sunday. But having it called quiet quitting is insulting. Quiet quitting mislabels the work that is done, which is still being done. It is not quitting at all. It is called work to rule. They want more work to be done? Put that in the contract and pay for it. Another listener tweets, Quiet quitting for teachers is called work to rule, which is a form of union strike. If your child's teacher quit, this would probably look like no homework or classwork graded, very few lesson plans created, as most of this work is done outside of contractual hours. Fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. Angela Garbus, writer, author of the books, Essential Labor, Mothering and Social Change, and Like a Mother. Thank you so much for having me. And Beth Titel, staff writer with the Boston Globe, author of the recent article, Our Obsession with Quiet Quitting Doesn't Seem to be Going Away. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Earlier, we were joined by Derek Thompson, staff, writer, and author of the Work in Progress newsletter for The Atlantic Magazine and author of the recent article, Quiet Quitting is a Fake Trend. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thanks for all those amazing calls and comments. Stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.